everybody welcome to the 315th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage today i'm i have been sick for the last week with the flu that's been going around if you listen to the last podcast you'll hear me hack up a lung that was me the entire week so i actually feel like myself i look like myself i'm happy to be talking and not sound like i'm going through puberty as a 13 year old boy again Cough up a lung. Where are you from? Marcy, son. Ain't nothing nice. It's the first thing I thought of when you said you were hacking up a lung. Bro, good, good, good job. But yeah, I'm I'm very happy to be sounding like myself, man. This is uh I'm very happy to be talking and talking well. So let's uh how was your week before we get into this uh podcast? Um sports-wise, absolute dog shit. Not gonna go into it, but uh if you know, you know, so we're going to move on from that. But Thanksgiving wise, uh, pr- pretty good. Uh, we kept it low key, uh, wanted, uh, you know, just to, to enjoy good, good food, um, start decorating and just a lot of really good food. Like we, we ordered Thanksgiving food out, uh, again, like that's kind of where we're transitioning to. It's just a lot of effort for, so little payoff like you just eat and it's done it's like that's that's a lot of time effort energy and if you love hosting more power to you i still do enjoy it but sometimes it's i like supporting the restaurants and i I just i feel like you're getting good food and um once again the thanksgiving burritos if you're not making your leftovers into burritos you're doing yourself a disservice it is absolutely a banger i have on day three or day four of thanksgiving burritos and i'm already looking forward to tomorrow's so if if you're ever looking for something different than just a turkey sandwich or a stew or a soup or whatever wrap that baby up in tortilla and you will not be disappointed with the amount of different flavors that you're getting it works just trust me on this my my mom makes a uh this rice uh this rice soup it's called juk um for those that are super asian it's y'all know what it is but if you're not it's kind of like this i don't want to mild flavored rice soup that you that they put like uh all the, the the turkey carcass meat and all that stuff so yeah like i'm kind of sad to be i, I didn't go obviously because i was so sick but I'm kind of sad to miss out on those leftovers and the actual food. But yeah, like my mom and brother uh, took the turkey carcass, cut it up, cut all the meat and made this this uh, soup called juk. So I guess everybody has their way of recycling turkey and Thanksgiving stuff. And I'm sorry for saying that it's mild tasting when it is. <laughs> uh, before Before we jump in, give me your top three holiday so i feel like thanksgiving and christmas you just swap out the main meat it's either turkey or, or ham whatever you want to do but like give me your top three holiday items you're looking for your plate to eat and maybe some honorable mentions for the rest of us to to take note so um i we had a i had a, a lee's zoom meeting today we have it every uh two weeks 
and I was uh, guilt tripping my mom about uh, making a rib roast instead of ham because I really fucks with it. So that would be my number one protein. But I, I love mashed potatoes. Um, we have a uh, Lee uh, stuffing where we take uh, Italian white bread and Chinese sausage and uh, other ingredients and fried in a rock, a wok. So it's extra crispy. And that's like how my grandfather used to make it in the restaurant. We don't really know how to make it correctly 100% of the time because like the re- the re- recipe is in Chinese. So it's just like there's ingredients. There's you know, it's in a walk and then it's kind of a choose your own adventure to, to wrap everything up. And then so I would say whatever protein you love, mashed potatoes, stuffing. And, you know, maybe it's maybe it's the white in me, but I love that green bean casserole. I fuck with the crispy onions. Canned green beans or real green beans? Oh, I when, when I go full white, bro, I go full white and I get frozen. Oh I mean, I, I I fuck with that. I, okay, you know. okay. I, so it's green bean casserole, a little mid for me, but it would, this was I asked you, so I I can't you know judge your the stuffing sounds fire. Uh, b- by the way, I would say for me, mine mine's a little off the cusp, but I like I like sides and desserts. So uh, dessert first and foremost, if you can make up a com pie, heat that up a little bit. <laughs> what with did some, you say? Uh, Heat that up a little. Did you say pecan pie? Pecan pie. Uh, I thought you said something else. Never mind. Get your mind out of the gutter. (laughs) How'd you know? (laughs) You get some vanilla ice cream, French vanilla ice cream. That's that's the the thing I look forward to the most. I also love uh, cranberry orange sauce. Not out of the can. You you make it. It's delicious. That's also the key ingredient to your Thanksgiving burrito. uh, Pro tip. And then. We got when we ordered out some braised collard greens, and those were absolutely. Did they not have pork in it? No, but they were hitting. And I've had them with pork before, and I had they, these were just as good. So those are my three items. Um, pl- I'll throw in my mashed potatoes in there. So those, those are mine, and then my honorable mention is the mac and cheese. But mac and cheese is uh, I'm I'm picky, I'm picky. So it, it's hard to make. I don't make a great mac and cheese um it's something i just haven't been able to figure out but if when i go somewhere and they have a great mac and cheese that's always going to uh be a crowd pleaser i, I would i don't we we suck at making desserts so we always we always buy but if anyone like i'm really i'm really more picky about like in the christmas uh time about that that, that main protein in the sides like dessert is whatever to me do you do you or your mom or your parents do like anything special for Christmas morning breakfast? We were always uh Christmas Eve folk. Oh, you did. So we did everything on Christmas Eve. We would just do a a dinner similar um Christmas day. Sometimes we would either travel or we would um I don't know, just just kind of hang out, but like with a little one on the way obviously new traditions are mm. you know about to start to form and you know olga and her family like to do uh christmas morning stuff i love making breakfast so i'm certain we're going to start doing some uh christmas traditions uh on morning because breakfast is my favorite meal of of the day hands down um, yes yeah, my mom makes this like egg dish 
with a like a shit ton of butter and leeks and melted cheese. So it's like a that sounds fire. It's like a very long process of like building the egg dish thing. I don't I would like to call it a casserole, but it's not. It's like just this egg. It's like a what's the thing that's hard to cook? Um, and if if you uh slam Eesh? the oven too too hard, the 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 thing falls down. Um a German pancake? No, no, no. Uh a quiche? Florentine? No. But uh souffle. It's oh, kind so of like okay. an egg souffle. So my mom takes a long time and like a lot of energy and butter and leeks and cheese. So every uh every Christmas morning or any like real holiday where there's more than just her, she makes this and it's like I wake up you know, because, you know, I'm 31 years old and I'm not waking up at 6 a.m. for Christmas anymore. I wake up to the smell of just eggs and cheese and leeks. So it's a very, very awesome way to wake up. But, uh, well, there's a reason we spent so much time talking about food. One, it's incredibly fun. But but to the, the trailblazers, the basketball has been the opposite of delicious food. It has been bland, a little dry. You don't want to have it again. Once it's over, you're like, ugh. Get it out, get it out of my sight. The, the Blazers, unfortunately, uh, in a bit of a, a holiday rut, losers of six of their last eight. They are now eleven and nine on the season. Sage, they just finished up a one and three road trip, uh, losing to the Bucks one nineteen one eleven in a game that was not as close as the final score indicated. Uh, getting blown out in Cleveland one fourteen to ninety six. They did have a uh, bounce back against the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. Uh, Simons and Jeremy Grant combined for over 90 points in an overtime thriller, 132 to 129. Unfortunately, they were not able to end the road trip on a high note. The the Brooklyn Nets uh, swept the season series and pulled away in the fourth quarter, winning 111 to 97 behind 29 points from Seth Curry and another 30 plus point outing by Kevin Durant. Sage, a lot to talk about this this episode. Um, what is the first thing that kind of comes to your mind when you think of where the Blazers were after that 4-0 start versus where they are now, losers of, of six of their last eight? Is it more of a, this is a marathon, teams are going to go through highs and, and lows? Is it more of a, a reality check of this is really who the Blazers are? Or is it still just a little bit of a rough patch? You're without Damian Lillard. Gary Payton II is still on the mend. You, you just don't really feel like you have a good sense of what this team can be, or is it something completely different? I feel like this is kind of what I expected from everybody else. There's going to be highs and lows, and there's going to be issues with the team, and then we work past some of those issues. So going from those four games where it was kind of like, yeah, we won, and that's awesome and surprising, but, you know, Sometimes shit doesn't work out. I don't know. It's it this this season's been weird where like just witnessing like how injured we are and how weird our rotations are because of how injured we are and how even though we're missing our superstar, we're playing our guys like extremely high amount of minutes in games that it's December and we're playing 40 plus minutes. Like it's for me, it feels like it's kind of short-sighted in a lot of the decision points that's been made. And like I'm happy for every win. I like I don't want to watch shitty basketball for like a 
you know, the, the hobby that we're doing right now. So it's like, I'm glad that we're trying and we're competing, but I feel like playing your guys such heavy minutes and not being able to match what the other team is doing is starting to become like a, a thing that I just anticipate happening. So, I, I mean, I enjoy wins and uh, losses suck, but it like, I, I feel like as I've gotten older, like I cannot make these games matter to me, like in like a, where it affects me. So it's just like, okay, this sucks or this is great. On to the next one. It's 82 long games. And, you know, we've talked about this stuff for eight years. I'm not letting my like short-term enjoyment or short-term failure sway me in a way where it's like, yeah, this, I, I feel like we're a, the sixth or seventh seed. So it's, it is what it is. What yeah, about I, you? I, no, I a hundred percent agree. It's all about your expectations coming into the season. And I talked about on our, our season opener, how I was going to just approach every game as my entertainment. Like, was I entertained watching that game? Did they win? Fantastic. Did they lose? Okay. But was it, what was I entertained watching that play? Sure. The four no start, you kind of get visions of could we be a surprise? Could, could the, we really the, make the one? visions of grandeur of like this is what we could be? Yeah. yeah. Do you kind of get high off of your own supply? And then when you kind of get too high, the lows feel really low. So it's important just to always kind of keep a realistic approach of what this team is. I predicted them to be sixth in the West. And I felt like that was pretty optimistic. I still think they're a slightly above 500 team. It is important to keep in context. They just went on the road, probably pl- probably played two of the, the, the three best teams in the Eastern Conference, doing it without Damian Lillard and maybe their best perimeter defender in, in Gary Payton II. So there's a lot of marathoning going on. Uh, the Utah Jazz were just first in the West and they, they've dropped four straight. Um Golden State just got their second road win uh, of the season. Like it's it's an incredibly long season. Injuries happen, but what I will say is leaving a bit of a sour taste in my mouth when I finish watching these games is I'm not as entertained as I was. Even when we would lose maybe to uh, the Memphis Grizzlies or even the Brooklyn Nets back in Portland, you were seeing the coaching staff not coach a tight game. It was loose. It was free flowing. You were seeing a lot of the bench players get in there. A lot of the young guys, uh, you know, Nasir Little was getting more run. They were doing some action for Shaden. And to me, that was the draw for the season. What young players were going to blossom and break out that we could kind of hang our hats on and say, this is the future of Trailblazer basketball. And this is what I'm looking forward to. We also got the question asked early in the season without your first round pick this year, likely, and without a second round pick, how is this team going to improve? You're probably not going to have the mid-level exception. You're going to have to use the taxpayer's version. How can you improve? Both you and I said internal development. Sage, you can't have internal development when your young players are playing less than a quarter of action. No disrespect to Josh Hart and Justice Winslow, but we're already losing games with them playing 38, 40 minutes a night. I would be perfectly fine. I know Shaden Shaden Sharp messed up a couple of times on defense. First one to admit that on Seth Curry. I would rather him mess up and us lose than us lose and he stay on that bench. The only way he's going to get better, Nasir as well, Trendon, throw him in there because I thought he played better and deserved more than the uh, 13, 14 minutes that he got as well. 
those players aren't going to get better just sitting and watching. And that's what's frustrating is because even though the Blazers lost that first game against Brooklyn, you go back and you watch those highlights because Shaden Sharp scored a career high 20 points. You go back and watch the game where Nasir Little comes out of nowhere and makes a weak side shot block leads to the Shaden Sharp, you know, bucket. That's not happening for me right now. We're left with Justice Winslow shooting open threes because teams want him to shoot open threes. Yeah, Josh Hart's pulling down a lot of rebounds, but he's also passing up a lot of open shots, which is bogging down this offense. It's not a this or that with like Josh Josh and Justice are bad and, and Nasir and Shaden are good. It's more of a why can't there be a little bit more harmony right now with, with the, the rotations and the expectations? Chauncey Billups still is on year two of a year five contract. If he gets fired, he still gets PAID regardless so he shouldn't be worried about coaching for his his job or his long-term you know tenure in portland i don't think the expectations coming down from the vulcans are saying you need to get home court advantage in the playoffs like this team i think needs i think they're almost a victim of the early success you always talk about the the 2015 2016 blazers speeding up that rebuild to the point where they dumped millions of dollars into four restricted free agents that harmed the long-term outlook of the franchise that we're just now trying to get, get out of that little start, I think may have sped up expectations as well. And as fun as it was, this team was not a best in the West team. We, we all know that they kind of are who they are going one and three on this road trip is not surprising to anyone. It wouldn't have been surprising if they did that, even with Damian Lillard, it's just the nature of the roster and, and the youth that that is built in. Yeah, they're going to surprise a lot of teams, but there are going to be nights where they they come out and they just get punched in the mouth by better basketball teams with better overall talent. So for me, I want to see more young players. I don't care if they mess up because my expectations for the season are I just want to enjoy basketball again because last year was an absolute nightmare. And I want to have a, you know, not only watch Dame do his brilliance, but I want to be like, okay, Shaden, we give a decade of, of this, you know, coming again. It's like you get a Reese's peanut butter cup, eat the first one. It's like, oh, this is damn good. But you know, you got that second one in the bag whenever you want it later. So that's why I am a little bit disappointed. And I'm, I'm to be honest, I'm not as excited to watch these games right now because I know I'm getting a double dose of players that I don't think lift the ceiling for this franchise. I mean, how real are we going to get? How Let's real do you want me to get? I, we're the realest podcast out there. All right, I truly think that Justice and Josh are the reasons for a lot of the negativity on defense because we're in zone. Like I would, I'm not one of those super analytical dudes that will tell you the exact amount of time that we've been in zone, but it seems like it's half the game at least, right? I would say, and maybe I should do a blog post on what a two-three zone is. Cause I don't really, I'm still getting over a flu, so I don't want to use too much brain power. But I think that the reason that our zone is really shitty at times is because Justice and Josh are really lazy at rotating and realizing what's happening in the zone. Basically, what the zone is, is you're supposed to protect the middle at all costs, right? The way you break that zone a way a team breaks the zone is you go right through the middle. There's two guys at the top of the key, three at the bottom. I would say that Josh and Justice 
are the two weakest players at keeping the middle clean. So you basically what you want to do is keep the middle clean. No one goes through middle. And I think they are way too easily too easy at giving up that middle. And that that's once you give up middle in a zone, it makes that zone deteriorate so fast because the entire thing is no middle. You're giving up middle and then they're not rotating fast enough or they're in weird positions zone zone wise where they body type should be at the top and but they're at the bottom of the zone where Yusuf has to actually rotate onto the corner. Like the zone is in theory is to protect Yusuf Nurkic because we only have one big, so we want to keep him out of foul trouble and on the court. But he at, at some times is the the guy that has to jump out at wings, and that's where you get into foul trouble. So I don't think that I I guess that there is a bit of safety in having those vets but when they give up what we're trying to protect at a much higher rate than everybody else why not just put the younger guys in and what i've noticed and what i've been texting you and i've had this sick brain so i've been hyper focused on the games because that's all i do for fun right now is i say look at how yusuf nurkic and josh hart communicate on the court it's I have a feeling that there is underlying issues between those two players and it might have gone to Justice Winslow and maybe Jeremy Grant a little bit that those those guys aren't uh, communicating well with Yusuf. If you watch those two, Josh and Yusuf, communicate defensively, it's really slow. I I've played on teams where there's been racist assholes on my team. So I don't really try hard to involve them in the offense or switch with them on defense. This is kind of the, the, the shit that I'm seeing with my, you know, playing 2k in a semi-competitive arena, playing basketball myself. I'm like, those two don't like each other. And I can tell because they're putting each other in shitty scenarios where Yusuf has been done, been doing a really good job of pointing out, defensive uh, responsibilities in the half court. He'll point to, you know, Nasir take that side, Josh take that side. Josh isn't going to that side. And there was a play in the New York game where it was a 2-3. The guy on the left side of the zone had to clear out. He had to go contest shooter. You see Josh hit, hit center to say that he's defending him. And then you see Yusuf, who was fronting the center, hit the center. So both of them, their responsibility was on that center. Uh, Julius Randle flashed out to the point and scored. And Yusuf and Josh were looking at, each other, looking at each other like, what the fuck? There's no communication between those two. And then on offense, you see it. Josh is, at least acknowledges that Yusuf helps, him, helps out the offense right now. So he'll pass it to him freely. But there have been times where it's just like watching these two players work together it seems like something's the issue so i hope that those two can at least figure out what it is that they don't like about each other because it's an interesting dance to see those two play basketball with each other it's like fuck this dude i'm gonna do whatever i want and i think that this last game that we watched today it was kind of nice to see yusuf nurkic get all the rebounds that were rightfully his i i was looking it up and looking at rebounds so there's a such thing as contested rebound versus an open rebound. So Josh Hart gets two contested rebounds a game. 
Meaning the other five, he steals from somebody. I'm just saying he gets eight rebounds a game. He only earns three. Maybe that was the, 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 the start of what the issue is. But if you pay attention between those two and it's a lot of two man game that, uh, that who's the second team we play the the uh the Cavaliers did Cavaliers. They put them in two man game a lot because it was Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen so they were running Mobley and Donovan and yeah. Darius I mean you you could tell the talent discrepancy was jumping off the especially the size Portland had no answer for but the anything. right thing to do on a switch between Donovan Mitchell and Yusuf Nurkic with either either guard or center of that team is to just fight through that shit and defend Darius Garland. Josh Hart quits on a lot of screens that puts Yusuf in really shitty positions. I think when we talk about those late switches that affects us by putting a guard on Yusuf, Josh is the the, the guy like 95% of the time. So maybe it's, I'm sick and I'm just tripping on, you know, how those two communicate with each other. But I think that it should be something that we look at between those two. And maybe this is just a bad blip in the in the season. But I can see that this could be an issue where if two starters don't really fuck with each other, it's going to be some bad basketball being played. And then I even saw like Jeremy Grant like uh, like do like a frustrated shrug at Yusuf. So I, th- I think that this losing is not good for the locker room right now. Yeah, it's it can take its toll. You know, you're away from your family. You're on your on the holidays. You know, winning is a winning is a cure all, and you need players to elevate their their game when the superstar is is on the sidelines. Um, for Josh Hart, I just want to know what's going on offensively. You know, really what he is thinking. What what's what's what what has happened to the player that we saw last year put up 42 points? Do you think that a, person is still there? What's that? Do you think the person that scored 42 points is the same person we're seeing today? It has to. It's the same calendar year. It's not like I'm saying, oh, you know, 15 months ago. It literally happened this past February in a same, a similar role. Yusuf was still playing. Ant was still playing. I, I don't know. He, he has gone from, you know, he really never trusted that three to start the season. No. So that's. So we can kind of remove that. But early on in the season, he was at least pushing the tempo and trying to finish at the rim. He's completely went away from that. He's almost playing a pseudo Ben Simmons type of role on offense. I, I I heard somebody say that it was Evan Turner like, and I was like, yeah, it is. Yeah, and you just can't have that when you're already playing Justice Winslow on the same floor with him. You can't have two non shooters out there. Did Dame and Josh play a second with each other last year? No, last year. Okay, I'm kind. I, I I'm actually. Do you remember? It was like in March when he or, or February when he got traded. Yep. Like February 17th. Let's just say the that. Wiz- it was the Wizards game that he put up 42. So I'm just going to look at Josh Hart last year and comparing him to this year. Yeah. He was so much more efficient. He had a usage rate. He was feeling confident. He was scoring efficiently. And then this year, he doesn't have a usage rate. He's shooting super inefficiently. So three. I mean, if you to be fair, he's not taking a lot of volume, but he shot above fifty percent for 
the past eight games, six, seven games, the past seven games, he's shooting at least 50% or above. But he's totally neglecting any long range. Yes. Part of his game. Yes. Because because when Josh is engaged, well, actually, I don't know if I can even say it this year, but when I've seen Josh Hart engaged, he's not afraid of shooting the three. And it seems like he's doing anything and everything he can to not shoot the three. He'll shoot it in late game on late clock situations because he literally has to. But I don't think he's taken a three pointer with like 10 seconds left, left on the clock in like weeks. It's kind of like we're fucked if you don't shoot this three type of thing. So I think there's something with his confidence or something that's happening in real life that has affected him. So he's not as confident as he once was because I don't think he's had a real Josh Hart is awesome offensively offensive game this year. I feel like it's been, there will be times of the game where he's putting up points because it's hustle and it's like, he's gets a rebound and pushes it up court. But I don't think of it as like a Josh Hart moment in this year. And maybe I'm missing games, but it's like he's kind of been this this dude. Switch gears over to the other player we were discussing in Justice Winslow. Um, I do acknowledge the the distribution that he's able to get out there. I think he is a solid uh, man defender, but I feel like every coach has a crutch and justice Winslow is one of Chauncey Billups's crutches and he utilizes justice probably more so than he should. He's being overextended and he, he just doesn't have the capabilities to perform to what the coaching staff is really asking uh, of him. So I, I do want to acknowledge that, that I don't think it's a lot of justice's fault. I, I do think the coaching staff is, really putting him in a much larger role than, than he should be. Like this was a player who was buried on the Clipper bench before he, he came into Portland. And you you just look at, since being inserted into the starting lineup, 28 minutes against the Caps, 46 in overtime against the, the New York Knicks, 37 tonight against the, the Brooklyn Nets. He is taking 10 shots per game. He's taking more than three. Yusuf, man. He's taking more than Yusuf, more than Josh, more than Nasir and Shaden combined. That that can't happen. And and I understand a lot of it is because they're leaving him open and he's like, well, I, I have to shoot it. But Josh Justice Winslow is not a three and D. You have to remove the three from the three and D. That that's just nature. He has a nice floater. That's the extent of his offensive game. He is a distributor, he's a ball handler. But when you put him out there in that offense, when you love to run a lot of high pick and roll. What do you think is going to happen? The defenses are going to collapse and they're going to invite Justice Winslow to shoot the three. It's not fucking rocket science. And this coaching staff is just driving me absolutely bananas foster lately, Sage, because they're putting players in predicaments that they're not going to succeed in. So I've kind of figured out healthy Blazers rotations. Starting five plays, blah, 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 blah. In the last five minutes, Chauncey Billups takes Yusuf out and puts Justice in. That shows a lot of respect to him. And then when Yusuf, when Dame's out, Yusuf has to play. So now Justice starts 
or before he was taking Shaden's spots to be that finishing bot. I, I, for whatever reason, I, and I know play, I know that Terry Stotts had that with Trevor Reason. I know that Monty Williams had that with Trevor Reason. I know that there are players that are crutches, but I don't think that this person, Justice Winslow, helps with what the Blazers need in the last five minutes. I would much rather go Nasir Little. I would much rather go Shaden Sharp. I would much rather go Yusuf Nurkic. Trendon Watford, honestly, there he plays favorites, and in in these games where three good minutes can get you a dub against the New York Knicks, or three bad minutes turns a five point deficit into a fifteen point deficit, like in the Brooklyn, these minutes are important. And honestly, you, I'm glad that you said he's a good man defender because when I see him play zone. Man, oh man, oh man. It is textbook bad defense. I, I think that he has that he, he feels responsibility in this team. And I'm glad that he does. I'm glad that Chauncey Phillips empowers him to play hard. But in a zone where it's you're it's at best you're working with one person, you can't leave that one person that you're helping to for no reason. And I think that he is a big offender of breaking zone concepts to uh do whatever he wants and he's a four he's a four million dollar player so but he's being i i would he's say being, he's, he's being asked, asked a, to do a, the responsibilities of a 17 18 19 20 million dollar player and that that therein lies the, the the problem like i i don't think he's a bad player i if he wants to come back next year for four million dollars yes but i don't want him in this role i, I think it's over his his skill set to to be perfectly honest and i think it lowers the ceiling for the blazers long term because i would love to t- teach shaden and nasir some of the the responsibilities that that he is being granted and it's 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 just frustrating once i saw that that chauncey billups took shaden out of the starting mm-hmm. lineup because he wanted to do get get off to quicker starts i was like that is complete and utter bullshit and well he uh, he has his guys that he wants to empower and that's great i think empowering players and people is a very good skill set to have as a leader of people i think that's great but i can also say that justice winslow has such a longer leash than yusuf nurkic it's incredible there you yusuf could throw a turnover and be benched for six minutes justice gets posted up by jalen brunson and then still is expected to play and i know that and and fucked up by taking an atrocious ass shot in the possession that that before that allowed Jalen Brunson to post post Justice Winslow up. But my God, like <laughs> he is just totally against the type of player I want to surround Damian Lillard with. So maybe my bias against him shows that like, yeah, I don't really like him. And I think that his skill set isn't isn't best utilized with the players, but it's just like he gets more end of game ball handling responsibilities than Ant. Chauncey, and I Billups, know Chauncey Billups reminds me a lot of Mario Cristobal. So for any Pac-12 football fans, college football fans, Mario Cristobal came in stubborn but had his way of playing. Conservative. If it's a short yarded situation, we are gonna man up and we're just gonna over aggressive and just power up the middle every time. Run up the middle. Run up the gut. Run up the gut. 
it doesn't matter what modern football says. That's how we're going to win because that's the only way to win. Chauncey Billups is the exact same way when it comes to the style of play and players that he wants. He wants dogs. He wants Josh Hart and Justice Winslow and players that are just going to be a junkyard dog. And that is fine. I think you need that type of player to win, but not everybody has to be that type of player. You have to take, it's just like a great dish we talked about for Thanksgiving. You got to have the right ingredients, a little bit of this, a lot of that. You just need a little Josh and a little Justice. We're getting way too much. We're getting way too much in that dish. I and, I, I mean, I feel, I feel like I, I kind of let it show that I think Josh, I like Josh less than most, most Blazers fans. But I think comparing Josh to Justice is a really big insult to Josh Hart and his abilities. It's the same guy. style of player. Oh, yeah, but, absolutely. But that's it's what like, I'm saying. Chauncey wants that. And that's the only type that he wants. It's and like I think, I think that really hurts the, the, the team. I think Ju- Justice is the base Pokemon and Josh is the evolved Pokemon. But like, I, I don't, I get what you're saying, but at the end of game scenarios, we can't give it to a guy that can't shoot it fat farther than 12 feet from the hoop. And I know that you have issues with Aunt Anthony Simons, but I would much rather deal with over dribbling of Anthony Simons than Justice Winslow driving to the hoop and having no way of scoring. Because I know See, I feel like that was another disservice right there. Of course, you would want to have. But you, I've seen I, I, like last five minutes, you should see how many times Justice drives to the hoop, gets surrounded and then gets a lucky drop off pass to somebody. At least like. The, like he could be point Zion or whatever for the first 30 minutes of the game. But when shit really matters, I need to have somebody that's actually skilled enough to do something with the ball like Ant or uh, uh, Jeremy Grant. I was going to go to Nurkic, but the conversation went over to Simons, and that was also You have a lot of opinions about Anthony Simons, so let it out. I do. Um, I know you do. I'm I'm frankly a little worried right now about Anthony Simons. Um, I thought without Dame, he was really going to blossom, uh, especially on on this road trip. And I, I know he had 38, and that, that was a great performance uh, against the, the Knicks. My problems with Ants are that if it's not a three-point shot, I don't know what he's giving you on the offensive end right now. Like, he's he's struggling mightily to get by his defender even forwards at this point he's taking a lot of time dribbling that basketball I mean the play in my mind that sticks out and you go back to the first Brooklyn game he does a dipsy do I mean he's like doing three crossovers and he throws a hook shot over his shoulder and it goes in and then from that moment forward that game just kind of collapsed because he thought that was a sustainable form of offense and he kept trying to do it he couldn't shake Ben Simmons I I love Anthony Simons when they use him like the Warriors use use Clay Thompson. I think he's one of the best catch and shoot three point shooters in the league. I don't think giving him the ball and saying, go out there and you're going to ISO like Dame and we're going to run everything through you is, is, um, is, is sustainable. Uh, I thought he did a much night and there, there are flashes there. I am willing to acknowledge the flashes in New York. He was cooking. But he had it on. Uh, so if you're looking at the television, bottom left hand screen in the in the corner, got by his man, and I was like, "Ant, make a pass, make a pass, make a pass." And sure enough, did a slick dump pass to Nurk, 
finished in the fourth quarter. And I was like, that's that's the step I want to take. He did that to Drew, too. Yeah, it's like, that's the step I want to take. Because I don't want you dribbling. I mean, we we God bless CJ McCollum, but that was his biggest pet uh, bugaboo as well. But CJ uh, had the ability to take did, somebody out of the play. The fuck oh, out totally, of totally. But when he won in that way, that motherfucker was taken out of the out of the the play entirely. Ant's trying to do that when he's not getting past Julius Randle. I think that there is a there's such thing as winning easy and winning hard in creation matchups. When Ant goes for the easy victory, I think his decision making is much better when it's quick decision. 0.5 seconds, he either dribbles, passes, or shoots. Monty Williams uh, did this thing with the Phoenix Suns where it was 0.5 decision making. And like uh, Green, the coach of the Pelicans, also instilled 0.5. You make the decision in 0.5. I think the Blazers in general, need to have that quick decision-making because when they do, the decisions are much better than when they take like the, the full second or two seconds to do something. So if if Ant, and this is going to take years and years of practice for Ant, but if he can just do that 0.5 mentality of making the quick decision and going, I think it it makes his, his uh, judgments a lot better, but it makes it so he's a lot more effective. But when he's doing the five-second dribbling thing, he has to break the guy's ankles for hit for him to score. He has to really think about winning easy because Dame wins easy. James Harden wins hard, but he isn't James Harden level as a playmaker. So he has to take those easy wins instead of going for the highlight TikTok clickable. Like um, this is from my 2K heads, but Anthony Simons is like a playmaking shot creator that's looking for clips. He's trying to embarrass that player, but if he takes that early win it he he does uh, jump off passes he gets a a lot of assists for himself but if he's not making that early decision win it's one of the worst uh basketball moves that he can do is dribble for seven seconds east west and not going north south at all and i think i think that's if he just took those easy victories we would bitch a lot less about anthony simons because he's really talented he just decides He's trying to get the curly, I just spit everywhere, but he's trying to get the curry slide, you know, clip off instead of, oh, I won. Let me just take this win and score or pass. But I, I think that the Blazers need to have that 0.5 mentality. Even yeah. game would be improved with a 0.5 mentality of, oh, I, I got this win. I'm going to take it. I just want to see a little bit more accountability from, from certain players. And Anthony Simons is is one of them. Uh, if you're cooking, continue to shoot. But if you don't have it, he hasn't built up the the resume uh, of Damian Lillard where you kind of can say you can live with Dame continuously shooting. Now, there are times where I'm like, Dame, you need to, to pass. It's not your night. But the resume is not there for Anthony Simons. We're really working off of a quarter of a season last year. And my the, my two biggest things with Ant, the volume of shots and how long it's taking to get those shots off. If you if you if you're having an off night, reduce the volume, get others involved and make quicker decisions. Keep that basketball on a string because we're not going to win games when he's taking 
20 plus shots shooting at a 30 clip. He's only shot 50% from the field four times this season. So we, we we need to just tighten that up. There are other players that are capable of, of taking and making shots that, that, just, that deserve an opportunity to get involved in, in the offense. I mean, if we had Kent ba- nothing but Kent Bazemore surrounding us, you know what? Ant probably is the best option. But Jeremy Grant's right there. So it, it's it's more of a we have more talent than we did before when CJ McCollum trying to win difficult was maybe the best option. Like it you know, kick it out to Hazonia for three. Like if it's Hazonia and uh Kent Bazemore and Alfaruk Aminu, I get it. But it's not. Before we jump into uh, the upcoming slated games, I, I got to get something off of my chest. Apparently, it's a, a venting episode here <laughs> on the Holy Backboard. The I, I appreciate and love Trailblazer fans. I think they're passionate. The, the downside to being the only show in town is there's a fishbowl mentality and everything is under a microscope. And that leads to groupthink. I think the groupthink surrounding Yusuf Nurkic oh, God. is... 100% inaccurate. And, and I hear it on Twitter, on message boards. Uh, I listen to the, the the AM radio whenever I get into the car and have to do any sort of errands. Everyone is so down on Yusuf Nurkic. And, and I used to I, I used to not be a, a Nurk fan, but because of all of the negativity, it swayed me to really root for Nurk because he he's not the problem. Uh, I guarantee you he is, he is not the problem. I mean, just on this road trip, he gave you damn near 20 and 10. Uh, on an average and was over 50 easily over 50 percent from the our field. best passer too if you want to talk about like playmaking easily our best power passer he's one of our best matchup mismatches uh down low is he a perfect center no but oh. there's only two perfect centers in the entire nba right now and i'm sorry we don't have one of them does he make mistakes yes so does your favorite player no, no. anthony simon no <laughs> they're I think the criticism is reaching like Kevin Duckworth in 91 levels when everyone just just absolutely blasted Duck for that series against the Lakers and it totally wrecked his confidence for so the rest of his career. I was born that year, so you might want to have to you might want to explain the Duckworth thing. I mean, this is for the old heads. You know, if if you know, you know. The Blazers <laughs> were the number one seed in 1991. The Lakers were considered a little bit old and uh were the number three seed. Vladi Divac and his quickness gave Duck a lot of problems, had a lot of turnovers, and Portland lost in six. But what people don't also realize is it was a complete team team collapse. The, the coach made some bad substitutions. They they blew a 12-point lead in the fourth quarter of game one. They weren't, they were there were non-contests in game three and game four. Uh Terry Porter had a game-winning shot in game six. It rimmed out. Cliff Robinson dropped a three on one fast break. Everyone was responsible for that loss, but because it's human nature to latch onto a scapegoat, Blazer fans are doing that right now with Yusuf Nurkic, and it is bullshit. He is not the problem right now. In fact, I think he needs a, a larger role. I think he could make life a lot easier for our guards to get good looks because there's really not a big right now that can defend him. And when he's shooting the three at the level that he is, you look at the the Knicks game, for example. It was late in the game, and he got a ball kicked out to him. Because he had already made a few in, in that game, Mitchell Robinson had to come out and get him. 
it allowed him to swing a pass over to Josh Hart and he he had a wide open bucket, but it was the threat from three that mm-hmm. got Mitchell Robinson's attention. So not only do you have a big hitting threes, he's also the anchor of your defense and he can get you a bucket down low. He just needs to be shooting the ball. Like there's no, there's no realm of reality where justice Winslow should be even sniffing the amount of field goal attempts as Yusuf Nurkic and Anthony Simons doubling the attempts of, of Yusuf Nurkic. Like this team is, it's not the best team in the West. So nobody is saying that, but it is one of the more talented teams over the past three or four years that the Blazers have had gone are the days are where it's like, Dame go up there, score 60 and let's just watch it. You know, we're not, we don't have Hazonia and Baysmore on, on this roster anymore. There are mouths that need to get fed. And I feel like we're not feeding our, our beast and I think he it, takes the biggest haircut of absolutely he does. And he gets the biggest blame when, when shit goes south, but he's trying to clean up everybody else's mess. I, yeah. I, I mean, I honestly, in these four games, even the turnovers that he did passing, I understood the thought process of, because I think he's the only guy that will can throw a skip pass and make a play. All the other Blazers are going to make that straightforward pass. They're not going to look at the the cutter. They're going to pass it to the corner. Yusuf is, even though he was throwing some bad passes, I understood the thought process and thought, this is a worthwhile pass to make because it was going to result in points if it connected. So I, I know people don't like the turnover aspect of him, but if you can... Look at the play and think, okay, I understand the thought process. Chauncey Bullock shouldn't take him out for that, and the Blazers fandom shouldn't be upset about, I understand the thought process. It just didn't work out. Richard Jefferson on the Brooklyn Nets broadcast uh, apparently said that the, the Nets had no answer for him. And if yeah, Portland yeah, I was watching that. He was really complimentary. Would have had 30-plus. Mm-hmm. Portland absolutely goes away from, from what's working. and um, There's no way Nick Claxton can guard him. Or Ben Simmons or Kevin Durant. Get those guys. Because he's getting like eight dribbles in the paint. It wasn't like a one dribble and they send help and he passes. They were putting Nick Claxton on an island. And then Trendon Watford and Justice Winslow were cutting like we're the goddamn Miami Heat and ruining spacing because then they could send the automatic double because Justice isn't a threat. So they can, Justice Man just goes on Yusuf and it causes a pass. I, I think that we did a really awful job in the New York games, especially if he's cooking, posting them up, stay the fuck away from him and let him and let him attempt to score. Because I saw trend and like do the quick, the quick feet. And, and then like, I almost hit my water ball or and he would beg for the ball. But it's like, that's a bad pass because you're so close. So it's, you're, you're going from a double team to a double team. If we're really trying to win these games while Dame's hurt and Gary Payton's hurt, if there's such a blatant mismatch, stay in the fucking corner and sit there and be prepared to catch the ball. Don't try and make a cut and ruin spacing and create a double team where it doesn't need to be a double team. All right, let's take a look at the games that are coming up this week. You went 4-0 in the week. I went 3-1, and so we are now tied at 13-7. and on the season portland has a back-to-back a uh, home and away a uh, home tuesday against the clippers on tnt away uh wednesday at los angeles to take on the lakers 
uh, Friday, or excuse me, Saturday, they are in Utah, and then they come back home Sunday for the Pacers game. Uh, let's kick it off with the Clippers. It's the first time the Blazers have seen them this year. They are 12-9 and nine on the season. They just beat the Pacers by 14 without Kawhi and Paul George. It's always a crapshoot predicting a Clippers game. Oh, yeah, totally. You never know who was going to play. Let's just assume one of their big two plays uh, because it's a minor miracle when they both play together. I thought I saw Paul George was out for the next week, but I haven't researched basketball on two full days, so I don't really know anymore. But are we saying Paul George or Kawhi just for... They're both listed as they, they both didn't play today. I assume one of them might play. Yeah. I don't I don't think both. I don't think both. Let's say Paul George. Okay. I mean, that fucking A, they don't care about regular season at all. Because like when both of them are out, Glenn Coffee plays like 30 plus minutes, Nick Batum plays, Norman Powell plays. And then when Kawhi or Paul is there, Coffee plays nothing. Trey, Trey Mann really regresses in minutes. So this is a weird one, man. Like, how, it's a TNT game, so I assume that they're going to play their star players on a nationally TV. Like, they wouldn't rest when, the, when they're both able to go, but it's so hard to really know what the Clippers are going to do. Because, like, I remember the Golden State Warriors rested everybody against New Orleans on TNT against New Orleans twice in a row. So maybe these, these teams that think that they're – the, the regular season doesn't matter really doesn't treat it like the regular season matters we need to watch out for the clippers shooters they have just oodles and oodles of actual good shooters that think for the luke canard is out, out for a while yeah but i mean like norman powell we know norman powell can shoot he's been god awful this entire year though but you, you know he can shoot um one thing that i've really noticed uh, with the Clippers this year is Reggie Jackson has been is officially washed. He's shooting at a really bad rate and he can't get to the rim. So anytime that he's on the court and John Wall isn't because they're, they're they play 48 minutes of point guard. We need to make sure Reggie Jackson is the guy that shoots because it just isn't like I Reggie Jackson used to be a really good shooter. It's just the last two years it hasn't hasn't taken it and now he can't even get to the hoop so i if we had like if josh hart wanted to hound somebody today i think putting him on reggie jackson and making his life miserable might be a good uh a good use of our assets um john wall on the other hand has been in his limited minutes when he plays he's been looking really good so it's a this clipper team just has a lot of depth i think this is a know your personnel game where like if they have a rep of hitting threes, you can't let them shoot threes. But if they're if they're trash at shooting, just let them shoot. Like that, that's what they do with Justice and Josh Hart. We should let them like like they let the non-shooters shoot those shots. But are we assuming Dame's not playing? Correct. I think I'm going with the Clippers victory, which is this is where I feel the most unsafe because of what the Clippers can do with their rotations. But I think that they have enough wing talent to make us make us um, affect us because we play at such a tight rotation. So I think the Clippers win, and 
the person that does really well is Trey Mayo. I got the Blazers in, in this one. I, I think they're going to, I think they're pretty in, in a bad mood. And it's going to be a TNT game. I I, I think Jeremy Grant and, and Yusuf, I think our 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 front line is going to going to carry the torch. Um, you see the stat line Zubac had? I didn't. It's like a 2020 game. It'll be a good matchup down low with, yeah. with Zubac and, and Nurk. I still would give the advantage to Nurk. I, I hope they don't go away from him. But um, I've got the Blazers, and they have to get on a quick quick flight and, and take on the Lakers who just swept uh, a series in San Antonio. Anthony Davis is day-to-day as per usual. But, but 31 and 29 game for Zubac. That but is LeBron nasty. just put up 39. Um, I, I personally am going to go Lakers victory because I think it's going to be tough to take two from the Lakers in Staples Center. We already got the one early on in the season. Um it feels like when LeBron wants to take it over, even for a regular season game, that there is no uh, way to stop him. And the one player who would turn the tide for me is if Damian Lillard is playing and on the Blazers win because he loves performing in Los Angeles. He always dominates the Lakers. But without him, I just don't know if Portland's going to have enough uh, to kind of counteract what you're getting from LeBron on that end. And they have... And if they do get Davis for this game, that's another big who he he had a big game before he went went out as well. Uh, they, they're playing a bit better, but I I just I think the Lakers win this one. Unfortunately, did you see the stat lines that AD was playing without LeBron? It was well. Uh, if you looked at the blog post that I posted today, you see that Anthony Davis was part of my uh, Fanduel lineup that did re- relatively well. But um, it's. It's a very weird rotation that they do having. Ru- I didn't think Russ was going to be able to handle coming off the bench and, uh, you know, doing that role. But it's 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 worked out for him where he's putting up pretty damn good stats. Um, does you do do we find a way to go away from Yusuf if AD's not there or even if he is there? Like, where how does Yusuf Nurkic stay on the floor defensively? I still want Anthony Davis shooting from the perimeter. If he's hitting, that's okay. Like he mm. is so dominant in the painted area. But if he wants to float out there, one, it's a lower percentage shot, but two, it takes another rebounder off of off of the floor, essentially. And then Portland, you know, has guard that actually can get out there and rebound the ball, throw in Jeremy Grant. Um, so if he wants to shoot, I, I would invite that. I would almost bait the Lakers into doing that. I think you keep Nurkic on the floor to keep Anthony Davis honest because Nurk's shown the ability to hit the outside shot, but he has also shown the ability like, okay, if you're going to defend me, I will find the open cutter. I'll find the open shooter. Or get I, AD in foul trouble. Yeah. Did you see what AD said at the beginning of the year? He doesn't want to miss a single game this year. And I'm like, bro, are you saying you want to attend every game? Because I don't think I mean, you're playing. Every, you ain't playing eighty two. Your body has other ideas, bro. <laughs> it's like it, uh, that's awesome. You want to be on the bench and support your guys for all eighty two. That's great. <laughs> oh man, but I, I, I think the Lakers win as well. Yeah. yeah like. All right. Uh, Portland goes to Utah, uh, a venue that is always difficult. The the Jazz are 
about to go on a six-game homestand, and Portland is uh, the fourth of the six games. They do have a home back-to-back Friday against Indiana and then Saturday against Portland. They have lost four straight, but three of the four teams were pretty difficult and on the road, and they've been competitive. Let's not also forget that they handled Portland uh, back on the 19th of November. It took a late Portland rally to make that one competitive, but... Clarkson and Beasley and Markinen were just a trio of nightmares for the Blazers. And, Mike and Conley even left that game mm-hmm. and still had gross. nothing. Uh, this was the game that really caught our eye with the switching defense, especially late. Uh, Clarkson got on Drew Eubanks, and it was curtains. I I'm I'm watching the defense. What what does Portland do against this Utah team? You can't zone them, and you can't switch. So how are they going to defend the the Jazz? Uh, I would like to see more fighting over screens, uh, maybe maybe getting the ball, trapping some of their ball handlers who aren't as adept at uh, being under pressure. Like, don't make it easy for them. Uh, maybe pick them up full court and go a longer, deeper rotation. Uh, those are the things that I'm going to be on the lookout for. I, I don't have any questions about the offense. I think you can score on this Utah team. There's no real shot blocker except Vando, but he can't keep his hands to himself. Yeah, so, so but I, I, can you score enough? To, can you outscore the or the Utah Jazz? Can you stop them? How many? Can you get those stops? I don't know. Well, and since since Conley's been out, uh, Colin Sexton's been playing like thirty one minutes, but now you're adding Malik Beasley, another capable ass shooter, to that finishing five. So you know Conley, at best, was always like an average shooter. Now it's Clarkson, Beasley, Colin Sexton, Vando, and and Lowry. And if if Vando's in foul trouble, you put uh, shoot who's the other white guy, Kelly Olynyk. Yeah, Kelly. So, I, I mean, I, I think you can hide Yusuf on Vando for all the minutes Vando's on the court, and then if Kelly Olynyk's hitting threes, then you know what Kelly Kelly O is hitting threes. I think that we need to have. I think Yusuf needs to play thirty minutes every game if we're trying to win these games. If the if the ultimate goal is winning, you have to play Yusuf Nurkic those thirty minutes because Ebanks defensively could maybe do what Yusuf does, but Ebanks and his heavy mustard passes is not going to create offense for us. So I, I I see Yusuf having a big one against this team. No one can defend him because he's like he's an extra fifty pounds heavier than everybody else on Utah. So Maybe Yusuf, Walker Kessler has Yusuf a chance. was 18 and seven on 80% shooting. Portland loses. Guess how many minutes he played in that game, Sage? Against Utah? Yeah. 26. 27 minutes. And Boom. He had almost 18 clear. and seven on 80% shooting. Did, just, so it was close, right? So Justice Winslow finished over him. Yeah, it was Drew Eubanks. Oh, yes. I remember. Yeah. I'm, I don't get it, man. I hope Yusuf hears this and knows that he has a fan in us. Or, you know, at least me, I like him. <laughs> so, I mean, looking at the, the game, it was really everyone shot the ball well. Uh, we did was... a really... Uh, Beasley found the the, cre- the creases in our zone and was able to hit. I think Beasley, he had like a really Clarkson, high... and and combined for 80 points. Yeah. Whew. I mean, 
they have it offensively. They just don't have any defenders. So if we can play a little bit of defense, I think we win this game. Okay. I am going to go a Utah win. Portland rarely wins in Utah, um, especially without Damian Lillard, and who knows when he is going to come back. But um, I I just don't trust our our defense right now. I I don't know how Portland defends them. And if you're not not getting efficient scoring from from Lillard and Simons, it's, it's, it's a wrap. Um, Let's talk about this Pacers game. I'm excited to talk about it. Back-to-back, Portland uh, faces uh, a surprising Indiana Pacer team, uh, 11-8, fourth in the Eastern Conference right now. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10. They've got a young, fun squad, uh, but they're probably going to have to make some decisions around the, the trade deadline, what to do with Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, but they've got a really, really fine young backcourt in Iris Halliburton. Halliburton. Yeah. Iris Halliburton. So, so the beginning of the year, Indiana thought they were going to be tanking. So they only played uh, Tyrese Halliburton limited minutes in terms of like a point guard. So he was never able to get the 38, 5, 36 minutes that a legitimate point guard would get. But they actually started winning games. So instead of playing these guys less, they're playing these star players more. So Halliburton's able to actually develop chemistry with Benedict, develop chemistry with uh, Miles Turner, Jalen Smith. They have a very fun team where Halliburton is the linchpin to all of it because he's such a, has such good vision. And um, their big rotation is actually pretty damn scary because they have like legitimately three uh rotation centers so they run a pretty big team with Jalen Smith Miles Turner and then they go with Isaiah Jackson and if Isaiah Jackson played full minutes he'd be the block champ he's a very good shot blocker in his uh uh in his limited time so it's it's about 48 minutes with Miles Turner and Isaiah and then uh Jalen uh plays the, the the pure power forward for him um Benedict Mathern comes off the bench unless something's changed in the last few days. Where um shoot, who's the guy that you liked that I said was a fraudulent shooter? Aaron Neesmith. Yeah, so Aaron Neesmith gets a spot start. And uh he's okay. And then Nemhard is the uh other starter since uh Duarte's been hurt. But uh when they when they really get going, it's Benedict and Tyrese doing most of the damage in the guard spot. Bro. I know that I teased you about Benedict Matherin sucking at defense. But NBA Benedict Matherin, who is the six-man gunner off the bench, is fucking awful at defense. <laughs> He's fucking... Like, you thought A.J. Griffin was bad. This dude is fucking awful. But he is an absolute bucket offensively. So it's fun to watch this pure, like, scalpel-sharp offensive player and the most goofy, not giving a fuck defender in the league. So it's a very fun team to watch. I'm very happy about this. This could be a very, if Damian Lillard was healthy, this could be a really fun game. But I'm really excited to see what Tyrese Halliburton can do in this 2-3. Like if he, if in the first five minutes, Halliburton has no problem against the zone, we need to go man immediately. And then we can, we can hide. Yusuf doesn't have to leave the paint. 
to go on to uh, Miles Turner, who's a good shooter. You could go with Jalen Smith. He can. We can find ways to keep him on the uh, the court because they only have traditional bigs unless they're super injured. Where they go, Goga or uh, they have a six six point guard or six six center as well. Uh, shoot, I forgot his name. But this team has a lot of bigs, so uh, Yusuf has to play, and just an amazing passer in Tyrese Salaburton. Hey, dude, win or loss, bud? Oh. <laughs> You could have just said that instead of making hand gestures at me. Uh, I say we win, but that's Blazers are going to win this game. The Blazers will win this game. Get right game for Simons. I think Jeremy Grant is going to get involved. And when, when Grant gets involved, good things traditionally happen. Um, I think they could have a big night. Like the Pacers team, they love to play offense, but like you said, they, they don't really play a lick of defense. Like Portland really should. If they run offense and not just go ISO, that they will be able to get any shot that they want. But it's it's going to be like Utah. You're going to have to you're going to have to get some stops. You're going to have to find a way to to get down there and just find find a way. I, I don't know. Like if your zone's not working, you got to go man. If your man's not working, you got to try trap. If your trap's not working, you got to try and full court press. You you have to. F- you have to not be afraid to to switch it up. Um, you got to keep a guy like Halliburton guessing what the defense yeah. does. Because if it's I just... honestly, Sage, I, I don't care what the defensive metrics say for the Blazers. My eyes are telling me teams are still missing a lot of wide open shots from. Three. Oh yeah, totally. Joe Harris uh, just was just breaking. Kevin Durant yeah. missed a couple of looks wide open. Kyrie missed a couple of looks wide open. I mean, the amount I I know we play a lot of zone. I'm not necessarily certain I understand why, because in a seven-game series, I feel like it's just going to get absolutely cooked. It's getting gashed. The looks that teams get is ridiculous. Like, Donovan Mitchell is just walking into shots. Darius Mm -hmm. Garland off the dribble. I mean, it's a defense that teams play that don't know how to play defense. And you take advantage of teams that don't know how to run zone. The only way you'll know how to break a zone is if you you practice zone defense. So you know where the the spots in the zone are, where you can take that open three. Like, <clears throat> I think it was Malik Beasley was just finding those holes in the zone, so he would take that far uh, top of the key three, and it was just open every time because the zone, be, because of what that zone is, that isn't that's a blind spot. You you have to actually make that adjustment. But if you play a traditional zone. That's open every single time. I, I I feel like it's a crutch. And I just don't like the people that the people that we have been told are good defenders. If they were really good defenders, they would not be playing zone this fucking much. And without Dame, we have one six three dude and one six five dude, and the rest are long, tall six six to six uh seven foot guys we don't need to play a zone except we do so it's for me i think like it's kind of fraudulent what we're doing defensively where it's like hey dumb teams try against our zone and we'll win because they're dumb but then san antonio just fucking knows how to dominate our zone or smart teams will just be like oh this zone all right, what 
what a joy. We can we can get nothing but open threes if we pass it a few times. So I don't I mean, hey, if we can beat stupid teams, that's great. But in the playoffs, we can't rely on a zone. And it's so hard to know. Like, you know, you and I did a full year of exhaustive draft stuff. A lot of teams run zone. So like Baylor runs zone. They run the zone that they run a two three zone that I wish we would run because it's an actual no middle zone. But it's hard to really know how good a defensive player is if you hide them in a zone. Now you could there are ways to track it, so it's not a humongous surprise that they are or aren't a good defender. But it's a way you can decide to disguise a guy. Yeah, we're in a zone, but he's really active and creates steals in this zone. But he might not be a good defender, so it's a way to hide and make. Uh, to add defensive stats, but it is what it is. Um, you have anything else you want to say about this this team, or did you get your rant out for the week? I think we're all set over here. I think I got everything that I wanted to say out as well. Um, we are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, everywhere where you get your podcast. We should will be available. So, um, thank you so much for listening. Um, Hope everybody had a great holidays and has a safe and uh, healthy uh, winter holidays. We'll be back next week. Bruce. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go.